Well, hey guys, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. And before I begin, I just want to say, isn't Christian doing a great job up here? I mean, it is, it is, you know, I don't know if you're on social media or not, but Christina, who's the lead, she's away. And it is a difficult job to do it all by yourself. And so I just got, I'm just so grateful he's here and what a great voice and he's doing it. A fantastic job. Anyway, if it is your first time here, welcome. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor around here. And today we are wrapping up this three-week series that we've been having called Run. And over the last couple weeks, we have just been having an honest conversation about what it looks like in our lives when we run from God. And um, before we kind of jump into today, I just want to reflect on last week and, and what happened. I don't know if you were here or not. But at the end of the sermon last week, at the end of the service, we just created, I'll just call it a time, a space, for those of us in the room who were tired of running, who, who, like Joan, had gotten to a place in their life where we, we couldn't take the storms anymore, we couldn't take the chaos anymore, we recognized that in some area of our life, at some aspect, that we were running from God. And I challenged us at the end of that service just to, to, to wave the white flag, so to speak. And I said, I'd like for you to go a step further if you would. If you would be so bold, I would ask you to write the words, I surrender, on those little communication cards on your chair. And I, I have to be honest with you, I was blown away at the response. You know, during the week when I was thinking about doing this, I'm like, you know, this is so out of character for this church. This is not something we would n- normally do. Is, any, is anybody going to do this? I mean, I knew folks would be in a position to say it's, it's time, but would they be so bold to actually write it? And, and I just received a stack of cards, and it was so encouraging for me to, to see the faith journey that everyone here in this church is on. And I'll, I'll tell you another story. Midweek, one night, Wednesday or Thursday night, I woke up in the morning, I received a text message late at night from someone in the church who missed church last week, got a chance to watch it online, and this person just texted me and said, I just want you to know that this is me waving the white flag, and they sent me a little white flag emoji. And I was like, oh my gosh. You know, just seeing people take time out of their day to say, that's it. I, I, I've done enough. I, it's time for me to just get things right. And so if you missed last Sunday, if you didn't get a chance to do that, if, you're, if you weren't ready to wave that white flag, I'll just say this. Anytime that you're here and you're in a place in your life where you're ready to surrender back to God, you just write, I surrender on your card and I will pray for you. And like I promised last week, I prayed for that stack of cards every single day this week. My name, thanking God for what he's doing in your life and what he's going to be doing in your life moving forward. But back to the message at hand. This series, we've been talking about a guy named Jonah. Now, Jonah is a very famous guy. It's a very famous story with a very famous part. We don't need to rehash the whole thing, but at some point he gets swallowed by a whale alive, and he's in there for three days and three nights. And the reason that we're talking about Jonah is because his life mirrors our life in the sense that he's running from God. And as we've kind of hit on multiple times over the last two weeks, I firmly believe that at some point and at some level, we all run from God. Some aspect, there's something going on, we all run from God. And you may hear this and you go, "Mm, not me, I'm in lockstep with God. I would just tell you this, okay? The sooner you recognize that we have issues in our life that need to be worked on, the sooner that you lower your pride, the sooner that you wave that white flag, the sooner you can get back on the right track with God. So last week, we left off the story. If you remember, Jonah waved that white flag. He got to a place in his life where he realized that he was walking the wrong way, that there were issues in his life that were wrong, that he was, that he was running from God, that, that he recognized the error of his ways, and he surrendered. 
In fact, he said that he cried out to the Lord in his deepest moment of deepest despair and great trouble. And God answered that prayer. And immediately, God orchestrated that whale and had that whale spit Jonah back onto the beach. And he gave Jonah a second chance. And he said, okay, now take my message to the people in Nineveh. And if you remember, Scripture said, this time, Jonah obeyed. And we landed on the principle that we serve a God of second chances. We serve a God of third chances, of fourth chances, that we serve a God who will pursue you to the ends of the world. He will do whatever it takes, whatever he's got to do to bring you back and to win you back. So we read this and we see kind of how the story unfolds. And as Americans, I think that we would expect the next line to be, and would not be surprised that the next line in Scripture was, and Jonah lived happily ever after. The end, right? I mean, it's a story of a, a guy ran from God, he had this big adventure, he repented, God forgave, and now God gave him a second chance. Happily ever after, he lived. But here's the thing. This story is not even close to being over with. It's not even close to being done. And here's the very interesting part. The whale section of the story, which we focus on so heavily, it's not even the main point of the story. Just like a small section. See, we think and we've been led to believe that the whole story is about moral rebellion from God. That it's directed at people who are doing things they shouldn't be doing, right? They, they, they should know better. They know what God wants them to do and they shouldn't do it. Moral rebellion from God. And at some level... At some aspect, yeah, sure. Story touches on that, and we ourselves have kind of have landed on this. But in reality, the primary thrust of the story of Jonah and the whale is actually directed at good people. For our, for our intents and purposes, good Christian people. Okay? Now, let me just say this. There's this idea of that when you're doing a speech, it's kind of tell people what you're going to tell them, then tell them, then tell them what you told them. So let me tell you what I'm going to tell you today. Here's, here's sort of the bottom line of the whole day, what you're going to see as this unfolds. There are many good Christian people who recognize that God has a standard for their life. I think we all know this. God has, he has an idea of how he wants us to live our lives, and we do the best that we can to live that. Yes, certain times we're going to mess up, we're going to sin, we're going to ask for forgiveness, sure. But by and large, we're doing the best that we can to live this life that God has asked us. There are going to be many good Christian people who go to church, and they pray, and, and they sing the songs, the ones that they know, and they read the Bible sometimes until they get bored, and they stop reading the Bible again. And you're loving parents, and you're a great husband, and you're a great spouse, and, and you pay your taxes, and you're a great citizen. And you have surrendered, by and large, your life to God's moral will. But what we see many times is that there are good Christian people out there that have never surrendered themselves to God's will outside of their own lives. To put it a different way, they have never surrendered themselves to God's will for the rest of the world, for other people. And this is ultimately Jonah's problem. So let me set the scene for today, and let me use the map because I love the map. People love the map. Here's the map, all right? So if you remember, Jonah was in Israel. God went to him and said, I got a message for you. You got to go 500 miles this way and go to Nineveh. And he says, mm, not going to do it. Heads south, goes to Joppa, gets on a boat, and travels 2,500 miles in the opposite direction, running from God, trying to get to Tarshish. Now, somewhere along that 25-mile 
2,500 mile journey, we don't know where, the storms occur. Jonah recognizes it's his fault. He tells the sailors, chuck me overboard, and the whale gets him. Now, we know, because the story tells us, that eventually that whale spits him back up onto the beach. We do not know what beach that is, okay? We don't know, because the scripture doesn't say, we don't know if the, if the whale brought him back to the port of Joppa, all right? We don't know if it brought him to, like, the Amalfi Coast. I mean, that would be nice. But for argument's sake, I think it's probably safe to say that the whale probably brought him back to his home country of Israel, just sort of hitting the reset in Jonah's life. Now, if that's the case, once he lands back on the shore of Israel, he now has to take a 500-mile journey inland, overland to the city of Nineveh. And whether he's walking by foot or whether he's on a camel, that is going to be weeks of travel. And so scripture says that he finally gets to Nineveh, okay? He enters the city, this pagan city. Scripture says that Nineveh is so big that it actually takes three days to walk across the entire city. But he's now walking around this city, around people who don't recognize him, who don't recognize his God. the, The streets are lined with people that he knows are famous for skinning their enemies alive. And he is now yelling at the top of his lungs, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Okay? And that's a paraphrase because the real message is something along the lines of God sees your wicked ways, and if you don't change your ways, if you don't repent, he's going to destroy you. But this is how he paraphrased it. Now, this is a very bold message to proclaim to a city that doesn't know you, to a city that doesn't worship your God, and to a city that is famous for skinning their enemies alive. And the scripture paints a very grim picture of how the Ninevites responded to Jonah. It says this, And so the Ninevites surrounded Jonah. Taking hold of his robe, they dragged him through the streets to the king's executioner. It's not good, okay? I mean, this man has already been stuck in a whale for three days. This man has gone through storms. He has walked weeks to get to this place. This is not something he wanted to do. This is something he feared his whole life. This is not a good start for him. The good news is I made this up, okay? This is not what's in the Bible. I just want to see if you're actually reading the scripture, okay? Here's what actually happened when Jonah got there. It says this, the people of Nineveh believed God. You guys thought that was in there. Caught you. You don't read the Bible in this church. I knew it. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and they put on burlap to show their sorrow. So in the Bible, you will see frequently in the Old Testament, the Jewish folks would um, often uh, put on, mostly they'll call it sackcloth. They're calling it burlap here. This is just a ceremony that was done in the Middle East when someone wanted to show outwardly that, that they were mourning, that they were sorry, that they were repentful. And that's what we're seeing here. Continues. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, he dressed himself with burlap and sat down on a heap of ashes. Again, further demonstrating how sorry he was for what he had done. This is an amazing response. I mean, this is actually a shocking response for a culture who was as violent as they were to respond this way to a message coming from a God that they previously really didn't even know existed. And then the king takes it a step further. The king sends out a decree to the entire nation. And the decree says this, let everyone call urgently on God. 
Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. It continues. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. We read this and it's like, ah, hearts are warmed, right? We see resolution to the whole story. The arc of the entire story comes to a close. Jonah didn't want to do this, but now that he did this, look, it's so wonderful. Everything is happy and they live happily ever after. But there's a plot twist. Because we think, right, we think that, that the reason that Jonah didn't want to go to this city is because he was afraid. I mean, we talked about this in week one. We believe that Jonah was afraid, didn't want to go there because he knew that the Ninevites skinned their enemies alive, impaled their enemies, and burned alive babies and children. That's why he didn't want to go. But, but, the reason, the truth, is much uglier. You see, the reason he didn't want to go is because of this verse. This is why he did not want to go to Nineveh. You see, Jonah was not afraid of what the Ninevites would do to him. Jonah was afraid, let's get it up here for them, Jonah was afraid of what God would do for the Ninevites. He he was afraid that, that God would do something positive for these people. He didn't like that because he hated the Ninevites, because they were wicked, because they were violent, because they were not like his fellow Jews, because they didn't follow the laws of his God, because they were different from his people. He hated them. He didn't like it. But in spite of all this, in spite of all the differences, in spite of how wicked they were, God forgave them. And Scripture says something amazing. Scripture says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Basically, Jonah's like this, God, um, you messed up here. This was, a, this was a miss on your part, God. You see, the Ninevites sinned, which means they deserve your punishment. They're not like me. They're not like your, your Jewish people. They don't follow your law. They deserve punishment. And this is where the story takes a little bit of a weird turn. And this is the part where it gets a little bit uncomfortable for us. Because what we see is that Jonah knew God very well. In fact, he knew God so well, he was even able to predict the way that God would react. And he says this, Lord, isn't this exactly what I thought would happen when I was still at home? Lord, when I was still in Israel and you came to me with this message, isn't this exactly what I thought was going to happen? This is why I tried to, this is what I tried to prevent by running away from Tarshish. He's like, I knew you were going to do this. I knew that if I went there and I gave them your message and I knew if they listened to my message and if they repented, I knew you'd forgive them. I knew it. I knew it. This is why I ran. And isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that he admits that the reason he ran is that he was physically and literally trying to prevent an entire group of people from receiving the forgiveness of his heavenly father? That's a problem. 
It's a problem when you're a follower of God and you look at some other group because of what they've done or who they are or the way they're living and you say they don't deserve God's forgiveness. And then he says something extraordinary. And what he says, I'll put it this way, it almost seems out of context. It's almost like if I were to put it up here on the screen and I were to remove the chapter heading, that you would think it's from the New Testament, that you would think I was actually speaking about Jesus Christ. But what you're going to see here is that Jonah's actually talking about the God of the Old Testament, the the one that, that culture paints a picture of as being some ruthless, bloodthirsty tyrant. Here is what Jonah knows about your heavenly Father. I knew that you are gracious, that you are tender and kind, that you are slow to get angry, you are full of love, you are a God who takes pity on people, you don't want to destroy them. He's like, I knew all of this about you. I knew you had love for people. I knew you had compassion for people. I I, I knew that you don't want to destroy people. I know that your circle of grace is so large that it's almost impossible to escape it. And I'm angry. And I'm angry at you for not punishing them the way that I think they deserve to be punished. And then check out this beauty. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. A bit dramatic, okay? He's like, oh, Lord, I'd rather die than see them be forgiven, okay? He's like a seven-year-old girl, okay? But this is the crux of the entire story. This is the crux of the entire account of Jonah because he has surrendered himself, okay? He's surrendered himself to God's will for his own life. Sure, he's done that. But he has not surrendered himself to God's will for the rest of the world. When it comes to his life and God's will and God's plan for the rest of the world, he never, not once, said, use me. Not once. He never looked at God and said, I'm available. Whatever you need me to do, whatever you need me to say, wherever you need me to go, I'm here. Because I know that you want every single person in this world, every single person in that city to know you as your heavenly father. So I'm here. Use me. Send me. Instead, he just became judgmental. Let me explain to you what judgmental means. Judgmental means this. When you're really good at being good and you fail to have compassion on those who are not as good as you think you are, that's when you become judgmental. You become judgmental when you're really good at being good and you fail to have compassion on those people around you who aren't as good as you think you are. And here's where the problem comes in for us as Christians and for us as a church. Culture, not all of it, some of it, looks at churches, looks at Christians, and says, you're judgmental. And the reason they say that churches and Christians are judgmental is because they've either run into people that are like Jonah, Or they've run into churches that are really, really good at being good and have forgotten why God sent his son Jesus. They have forgotten that God has compassion and love and grace for every single person in this world, not just his followers. 
So God hears all this. God sees all these things rattling around inside of Jonah's head. And he asks Jonah a question. He says, let me ask you a question. Is it right for you to be angry? And I almost think, in a way, he's kind of laughing. He's kind of like, wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. stop. Let me see if, I, let me see if I'm, I'm hearing you correctly. Isn't it a little ironic, Jonah, that someone who was the beneficiary of my grace, who benefited from my kindness, who benefited from, mm, you know, me being slow to be angry, isn't it a little ironic that you're now mad that I extended that grace to somebody else. No answer. Story just continues. It says this, Then Jonah had left the city. He had sat down at a place outside of it. He waited to see what would happen to the city. So essentially what's happening here, I'll recap some of the story because it gets a little long. He doesn't answer God. He just leaves the city. He goes out onto the hill outside of the city, and he just watches. And I think what he's watching is to find out, is God going to forgive these people? Or is he going to maybe surprise me and level them? And he's just waiting there and he's watching. And here's the deal. It's hot. Okay? In this part of the world, in Nineveh, it's extremely hot. So God does him a solid. What God does is he commands this plant or this tree to grow up right next to Jonah. And it spreads these leaves out over Jonah. And it gives Jonah shade. And Jonah loves this plant. I mean, why wouldn't he? All of a sudden, he's comfortable, he's cool, he's in the shade, he's loving it. He loves his plant. The day ends, he goes to sleep at nighttime. God sends a worm, and the worm eats that plant. The worm kills that plant. That plant shrivels. When Jonah wakes up in the morning, plant's dead, not there anymore. He's angry. He's hot. God says, okay, I'm going to turn it up on you a little bit more. God sends a hot wind. Jonah is now cooking in this sun. He's cooking in this wind, and he is furious. And God shows up, asks him a second question. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about that plant? It is, he says, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Oh my gosh, he's so dramatic, okay? But like, aren't we all? Continues. The Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, right? In another word, another translation say, you've had compassion for this plant. You have had pity for this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. Continues. And shouldn't I show concern? Shouldn't I show empathy? Shouldn't I show compassion? Shouldn't I show pity for the great city of Nineveh? It has more than 120,000 people. They can't tell their right. They can't tell right from wrong. Nineveh also has a lot of animals. The end. That's literally how it ends. You can go look. That's literally how. I love the fact that this whole long story that we've been reading for three weeks, this epic adventure, ends with Nineveh also has a lot of animals at the end. Okay, he's a prophet. He's no like Bill Shakespeare, right, to quote Matt Foley. This is literally how it ends. But here's what God is saying to Jonah. He's saying, you're concerned, you're concerned with the wrong stuff. I love you, man. You're a great guy. You obey the Ten Commandments. 
You pray. You, you've surrendered yourself to my moral will for your life. Okay? For us. You go to church. You read the Bible. Great dad. Great mom. Great spouse. You pay your taxes on time. But, but Jonah, your concerns don't reflect my concerns. Your concerns don't reflect my concerns. Jonah, Jonah, I'm concerned about an entire generation of people. What are you concerned about? This plant. It's hot. I don't want to be here. Hmm. Jonah, I'm concerned about 120,000 people that don't know right from wrong, that don't know me as their heavenly father. What are you concerned about? Me. Hey, John, I'm concerned about the entire city of Fort Lauderdale. What are you concerned about? My Amazon Prime Packer is going to take three days and not two. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought is occupying your mind right now. American church. I'm concerned that there are millions of people in your nation that don't know my son Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. What are you concerned about? Music's too loud. Color of the carpets are off. Parking's a pain. Someone took my seat. Ah. I see. I think if God were to speak to the American church at large, he would say, church, I'm concerned that your concerns don't reflect my concerns. I love you. You're filled with great people who have surrendered yourself to my moral will, but I have a very large concern that your concerns don't reflect my concerns. Here's what I want you to know. If you're a visitor in this church today, if you've been kind of checking this church out for the last couple of weeks, I want you to know that you are surrounded by people who understand God's concern. The reason this church was started, the reason the bills get paid, is because you are surrounded by people who understand God's concern in this world. The reason there are people who work out in that hot parking lot handing out slips to park. The reason that one of our members comes at 7 a.m. on Sundays and puts on a latex glove and picks up disgusting trash outside, and you should see what this guy picks up because he wants you guys to come into an environment that's nice and inviting. It's because you're surrounded by people who understand God's concern. The reason that there are folks in this room and around this building stationed with blue lanyards the reason there are people downstairs right now working with your kids is because you are surrounded by people that understand that God is concerned with an entire city, not just about them. They have surrounded and they have surrendered themselves to God's will for other people. They have said that they are going to be grace and compassion on God's behalf. And they understand that by their act of submission to God, that by their act of just serving in whatever way they can, they realize that maybe, just maybe, because of what they're doing, someone might enter into a relationship with their Heavenly Father. And that's just the people in this church. Because you are surrounded by people in this church that understand God's will outside of these walls. There are people that are involved in cancer support ministries in this city. 
There are people that are involved in homeless ministries in this city who get involved at their kids' school, on their kids' school board, who coach Little League because they understand that God is concerned with other people. And when they're out there in the world and they're out there in the community and they're giving of themselves and they're serving, people see their love and their compassion and they are drawn to them and subsequently they are drawn to Jesus Christ. So here's an uncomfortable question. Can this be said of you? Just the Christians in the room. I want to ask you a question. On a daily, weekly, or monthly basis, how often is your life intersecting in a meaningful and strategic way with what God is doing in your community? Now, don't misunderstand me. You're a great person. You're a great Christian. But have you ever once in your life said to God, all that I am is available to you to use. Whatever you need me to do, wherever you need me to go, whatever you need me to say, I am here. Because I know that you want every single person to know you as their Heavenly Father. One of the guiding principles in my life was instilled in me when I was a kid. It's actually something that I talked about at my high school graduation. And it's a verse that's found in Luke chapter 12. It says this. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. Christians, listen up. God has given you a lot. He's given you your job, your family, your opportunity, your education, your intellect, and your salvation. According to this verse, we have a duty. We are required to give back, to serve others, to love our neighbors as ourselves. But, but if that's the case, if this is true, and I believe it is, why is it? Why is it that whenever we're presented with an opportunity to interact with someone else who could benefit from what we've been given, we talk ourselves out of it. We see the need. We feel the compassion, right? But we get home and, and we say, I'm just, uh, I'm too busy. Too busy. It's, 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 not a, it's not an ideal match for what I'm looking to do right now. I want to give back, but like this is not, mm, not exactly in my, somebody else will do that. Someone else will do that. Look, guys, you know me. I, I, I don't say anything to make you feel bad. That's not my MO. I am saying this so that you realize that you have an opportunity to be used by the God of the universe who has uniquely equipped every single person in this room to make a difference in this church, in this city, in your school, on your job, and in the world on his behalf. Now, that's amazing. So what's the practical? If it's your first time here at this church, every single week we put this word on the screen because I want to make sure you guys can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So I'm going to make this simple, and I'm going to make it bold because as I get more gray hair, I get a little more bold in my life. 
If you're in this room and you've said yes to Jesus, if you have benefited from God's grace and God's compassion and God's love and God being slow to get angry, if that's you, then I want you to say yes to God. To to say yes to his plan for the rest of the world. I, I would challenge you to shake off the sin of Jonah who thought his religion was all about himself and how comfortable he could be and how he can get fed and just get what he wants. And if you are not in a meaningful and, and strategic way serving either here or, or out in your community somewhere, you need to. You, you need to do that. Because Jesus didn't die on the cross just for us to become really good at being good. He died on the cross so that we would be freed up, that we would have the time to go and serve other people and interact with other people on his behalf, to show them the compassion and love of our Heavenly Father. I would challenge you to say to God, whatever you need me to do, wherever you need me to go, whatever you need me to say, I'm here. Send me. Because when our concerns align with God's, we can change the world. We can show them that grace. We can show them that love of our Heavenly Father. And that is irresistible. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to come here today. Lord, you truly have blessed us with so much. Lord, you have endowed us all with so many great abilities, so many great talents, and so much love. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us today to begin to give back to those around us. Lord, I I pray that you would challenge us to surrender ourselves for your will for the rest of the world. That we would be eager to give back. That we would be eager to forgive, that we would be eager to welcome people into this church and be love on your behalf. Lord, when our concerns align with yours, I truly believe that we can impact this city for Christ. Help us to do that. Help us to be the leaders that you have called us to be. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.